Family, if you love Jesus, somebody put your hands together in the place. Come on now. Come on, anybody thank God for 2018? Come on, has he been good to you? Has he been faithful to you? Oh, man, I, I am so fired up. I, I love new things. Anybody with me on that? Some of you are like, that's why I love Christmas so much, because you got some new things. But I love new things. I love new beginnings. And so here we are on the last Sunday of 2018. We're, we're closing out one chapter. We're beginning another chapter. And our prayer here is that 2019, for, for your family, for our church family, would be a banner year, the greatest year we've ever had. Anybody receive that promise? Come on, that word. Let's speak that over each and every one of you. Hey, before we ever preach, we'd like to take an opportunity to look at the cameras in the back of the room, say a great big hello to our Go Church family. And each Sunday, we live stream from this campus, 702 miles north of here. Don't you love technology? To the beautiful people at Go Church, today is a little different for them because they are a portable campus. That means they meet in a movie theater every, every single week. And so they set up and they tear down. And wouldn't you know that one of the busiest Sundays of the year for the movie theater is the last Sunday of the year. And so the movie theater knows that and they like to jack up the prices. Come on now, help me out. And so this Sunday, we call it Sabbath Sunday, and they get the time to be off and uh, let the volunteers rest up and uh, let our campus pastor be here with us. Come on, don't you love David Waldrop, by the way? <laughs> David and Esther, stand for a minute. Come on, stand up for a second. Um, I just want to brag on the two of you for the way that you're leading that campus, uh, the way that you're leading it with integrity and the way that you're leading it with, with such transparency and the way that you're leading it with energy. Uh, David, you and I talked uh, just the other day, and we, we just lifted our hands and thanks that we made it one year through the transition, and to God be the glory for that. But we love both of you so very much, and uh, while you're very far away from us, this is always home for you. And uh, so Esther, if he ever doesn't behave, you send him back home, and we'll take care of that, right? Would you bless them one more time? Come on, love on them. Love you guys so much. And uh, I'm not going to give you any extra money, but I'll buy you lunch. How's that sound? Is that a good deal? I want to tell you about two things, and then I'm going to introduce our guest speaker for the day. Beginning next Sunday, the, the first Sunday of the new year, we're going to begin a, a four-week sermon series, a conversation on the idea of prayer. How many of you know that prayer works? Come on, give me a witness in the house. Prayer works. One of the things I've learned in my lifetime is that God will answer every prayer that you pray. He answers every prayer, but he answers them with a yes, with a no, or with a wait? Am I talking to anybody? You know, I think I like the yes and the no's better than I like the waiting game. But God answers every prayer according to his word and according to his will. And so prayers are so much more than just words that we say. It, it is our lifeline. Richard Foster said it like this, to a Christian, praying is breathing. And so over the course of this series, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail and in depth about this discipline of prayer. And I, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to join us next Sunday. We'll kick the series off. And then, and then in harmony with that series, we're launching 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Uh, you heard this in the video announcements a moment ago. And this is happening at both of our campuses. So through the weekdays at 6 a.m., our sanctuary here at South Metro will be open for prayer. And then our office space up in Clarksburg area in Maryland will be open for prayer 6 a.m. Monday through Friday. On Saturday, we'll be open for 8 a.m. at 8 a.m. And then on Sundays, we have our normal gathering times. Um, here's my encouragement to you and my challenge to you. I want you to, I want you to be a part. I'd love for you to be a part. Um, I, I joked with you last week, but there's so much truth to it. 
It was the great MC Hammer that said it like this. You've got to pray just to make it today. Come on, give me a witness about that. We've got to pray. And if we're believing 2019 to be a banner year, then we have to permeate the year. We have to start out the year with prayer. And so maybe your schedule, your personal schedule wouldn't permit to be with us all 21 days. Um, Set some personal goals. Maybe you'll be with us 50% of the time or Monday, Wednesday, Fridays or Tuesday, Thursdays or every Saturday you'll join us for prayer. But it'll last about an hour in length. Uh, We'll have some worship in the beginning. We'll share a devotion. As a matter fact, we're going to do a devotion on the Gospel of John, 21 days, 21 chapters. We'll look at each chapter every day for just a few moments, and then the majority of our time will be spent in prayer. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you that you can't come because you don't know how to pray. All you have to do is have a conversation with the Lord, and the Bible says that he hears us when we pray. I wish somebody give me a good amen right there. Pardon the grammar. I ain't preaching today, but I feel like it right now. So I want you to participate with us. It's going to be, if there's any event that you decide to join with us in 2019, I want you to hear the heart of your pastor. I would like it to be this event. I would like you to join us for this event. If you join us for this event, I think it will change the trajectory of your entire year. And if you give God one year of your life, if you give this church or a Go Church campus one year of your life, at the end of 2019, your life will look tremendously different. Come on, anybody excited about this? Come on, put your hands together and thank God for the opportunity to pray and that we serve a God that hears us when we pray. So, hey, you're, you're in for a wonderful treat this morning. Uh, if you know anything about, about our leadership here, you know that we honor the pulpit ministry. We don't just let anybody come and preach, although there's a lot of people that call and ask if they can. Uh, Sometime back, Kimberly and I, we planned to be away today. We wanted to take some time and rest and get rejuvenated for the first of the year. And, uh, but when, when my closest friend on the face of the planet said yes to the invitation to speak, I told Kimberly, we can't go out of town. I want to hear the word because I know that he can, he can bring it. I'm going to introduce you to Pastor Jeremy Isaacs. Um, Pastor Jeremy is the lead pastor of Canton Church in Canton, Georgia. This year, this next year, Canton Church will be established for seven years, I believe. When they first launched, they were also a campus ministry out of Mount Perrin. And then last year, they disengaged, and they became a congregation on their own with fresh vision and leadership and the opportunity to reach the people of Canton, Georgia. And I'm telling you, Jeremy is an incredible speaker and communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But far beyond that, and I'm going to speak on behalf of his wife, Corey, and his children, he's a great husband, and he's a great dad. I was thinking about this a moment ago, how culture tells us, especially through social media, that we need to have a ton of friends. Get as many friends as you can. Get as many followers on Twitter as you can. But the truth is, most of those friends aren't really friends. About five of y'all get what I'm saying right now. You know, true friends are friends that when you need them, they're going to be there for you. And I have learned in my friendship with Jeremy and Corey and their family that they are only a phone call away. So their cell phone number is six, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Only a phone call away. And I'm just so privileged that you're here today. Beyond Jeremy's speaking ability and his uh, pastoring of a wonderful church that's absolutely busting at the seams. Uh, He's a singer. He's a songwriter. uh, He's an author. He's he's published a, a couple different books. He's one of those guys that can just do everything. Don't you love those kind of guys? And uh, you're in for a real treat. I I saw a sneak peek of the notes before the first gathering. I sat through the first gathering, and my life was deeply impacted. 
And I believe that your life is going to be deeply impacted today as well. The Bible says to give honor where honor is due, and I'm going to encourage us to do that. South Metro, if you're physically able, would you stand to your feet and give a Thanksgiving round of applause to my dear friend, Pastor Jeremy Isaacs. Come on, church family. Let them know you love them. Thank you so much. I am honored to be here, Corey and I and our kids. We have four kids. Uh, we are honored to be here. And, and you probably are aware of this. I hope that you are. I, most of my Sundays I spend at Canton Church. But I have had the opportunity to travel a little bit to some other churches. And what I hope that you know is that not every church is like this church. Uh, South Metro and Go Church is an incredible place to come and to worship uh, and, and honestly, maybe you have visited every church in this community and you're finding home here, so you know this, but maybe you were born here and you grew up here in this church and so you may not be as aware of this, but this is a phenomenal church. Not every church has worship like you just had. Not every church has preaching on a regular basis like you have. And so uh, I, I just wanna commend you as a church for just being the kind of gospel-centered church that this church is. And usually what you can tell about a church is where it's going by the kind of team that is leading that church. And you have an amazing team, your staff pastors and leaders, many of whom I've known for a long time. They are amazing leaders. And that starts at the top. Uh, this is not a mutual admiration society, but Pastor JC and Kimberly, uh, they have our heart. Uh, they are our friends. They are just amazing, amazing people. Uh, I, honestly, I think every time I talk to Pastor JC, he's got like a new vision, a new dream, a new thing. And I'm like, man, I, I don't hear from God near as often as you do. I got to get closer to God, I guess, to hear that. But no, he stretches my faith. They are an incredible couple, deep friends of ours. And, uh, and honestly, you know that, I'm sure. You, you launched them out to go to D.C. and to start Go Church. And then you called them back home to come and to lead and to merge these ministries to start a movement of what God wants to do literally around the world. And so I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here and to be here on this Sunday. You know, I've been pretty reflective these last few days. I tend to have that, uh, that reflective mode when I come to the end of a year. You already heard, you know, Pastor JC, and we, we like new things. You, you heard us talking about the end of the year and the beginning of the year. Pastor David talked about that. And so I've been thinking about what 2019 might hold. I've been thinking about reflecting on all that 2018 was in my life. And maybe you've found yourself in the same place as we're opening presents and we're in the presence of friends and family members. I become very reflective and I think back over these last few months or last 12 months or so and try to kind of evaluate and review what is it that 2018 held? What worked? You know, what were the things that at the beginning of 2018 I was hoping and begging God to do in this coming year and what of those things have happened? And what am I asking God to take and just multiply that and allow it to just be even, uh, even greater in 2019? What are those things in 2018 that were not so great? Right? What were those things that we just wish they wouldn't have happened? We wish, you know, we wouldn't have said yes to that invitation. We wish we wouldn't have gotten into that relationship. We wish we wouldn't have bought that thing or made that decision. And we're just asking God, like, help us just subtract those things. We don't want to add or multiply those things. Help us to subtract those things so that in 2019, we have some addition and multiplication of the good things. And we subtract some of those things that, that we don't like so much. And we believe that 2019 can be an even greater year for us, And maybe you find yourself in that same place today as you contemplate and you reflect over all that 2018 was and all that 2019 can be. You know, we all, as we come to resolutions and these thoughts of goals and what we want to accomplish, it really centers around a lot of the same ideas, right? 
We want to spend less. We want to save more. We want to work out more. We want to eat less or we want to eat more of the right stuff, I guess, and less of the wrong stuff. But is it just me or does the right stuff taste terrible? Is that just me? I mean... And, and honestly, what I decided a few, few days ago is that in this week, what I was going to do is just throw caution to the wind. I know I'm going to diet really well in January. And so I put my stretchy pants on and I just ate whatever I wanted to. Am I the only one in the room that just decided to do that? But, you know, I come to this place and I'm deciding, okay, these goals and these resolutions for 2019, what do I want 2019 to look like? And on this last Sunday of 2018, we probably could have gone a lot of different directions. We're asking God for new things. We're asking God to equip us and to give to us all these many blessings and all these great things. But I wonder today if, if it's not as much about that and it's about something different. What if our resolutions are just these hope-filled dreams? These hope-filled dreams. Well, that's not bad because the Bible in the book of Hebrews actually uses the word hope to define one of the central words, the central tenets of what our faith is all about. And that word is faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is defined this way. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we do not see. How are you confident about something that you can't see and that you don't have yet? You know, as we got closer to Christmas morning, I think my kids were pretty confident they were getting some gifts, but they weren't so confident that they were going to get the things on their list or what they were going to, they were hopeful. But if faith is this confidence in what we hope for, if there's an assurance in what we don't yet see, I struggle with that idea most of the time in my life because I'm confident in what I already see. I'm confident in what I've already experienced. I'm confident in what I've already walked through. So the idea that I would be able to possess confidence and assurance in something that is not yet in my life, that I haven't yet walked through, I haven't yet experienced, I struggle with that. You know, over these last few days, we've spent some time with our family and we're going to spend some more time with, with other parts of our family over the next few days. But my family was in town and they were at our house. And after I'd spent a few days with them, unprovoked, she didn't solicit, but unprovoked, I apologized to my wife. And I said, you know, I've experienced over these last few days some characteristics in my family, mostly my brother. And I said, if I do any of that to you like he does to me, I am so sorry, right? Nobody's got a brother like that, just me. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. If you don't have anybody in your family that's crazy, you're probably crazy. That's really what happens in most families. But what happens is if you say something to my brother, and I told him this to his face, so I'll say it behind his back. But I said, you know, if, if you say something to him and he just can't figure out how in the world it could possibly be true, he gives you that look like, And it comes across a little bit like skepticism, but honestly, what it looks like is, I think you're an idiot. That's really what it looks like. It's like, I don't, I don't think that could be true. It doesn't matter if you've experienced it. It doesn't matter if you've walked through it. It doesn't matter if you believe it to be true. If he can't rationalize in his head how it can be true, he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't. And I wonder how many of us are like that in our faith journey. That if we hear somebody else that's received a blessing from God, but we cannot rationalize how that could be true in our life, we're like, well, I mean, I don't know if that's how God works. 
If we're confident and hopeful and believing for something and somebody else gets a blessing, somebody else gets an answer to prayer, somebody else expresses that God has done something in their life and we're just not sure God's ever gonna do it for us, we just, nah, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I just, I just. But what faith is, is a confidence in what you're hoping for. It's the assurance of something that you don't yet see, but you hope to see. And so today, as we enter into this reflective period and we step into 2019, I recognize that for some of us, we want some new things. We want some new goals. We want some, some new things to happen in our lives. But today, I want us to talk about this idea of faith in maybe a little different way. You know, Hebrews 11, where we just found that definition is the place where we find all these characters of the faith. There's many uh, great heroes of our faith that come from the Old Testament stories where we find that they have done these incredible feats as they trusted God for greater things. And you walk through this, it's most often referred to as the hall of faith. And you meet these incredible characters and you read the cliff notes of the stories of their faith journey in trusting God for greater and bigger and grander things. And when we read through Hebrews chapter 11, we come to probably the largest portion of that text is, is given to a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham is father Abraham. Perhaps you're familiar with his story from the Old Testament. Well, Abraham, according to what we read in Hebrews 11 and in other places there in the book of Genesis, we see that Abraham was promised by God that he was going to be a great nation, that he was going to be a great people, even though he didn't have a people. He just had his wife, Sarah. And so then God one day says to Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to go to a new place. Well, some of you have moved in your life. That doesn't sound like a great feat for God to ask you to do that. But then Abraham had to go and sell this to his wife. And when he goes and does that, can you imagine the conversation when Abraham says, Sarah, God has called us to go and move. And being the faith-filled wife that I, I'm sure that she was, she says, okay, great, let's do it. Let's pack up the mule and let's go do this. Where are we going? Abraham says, well, I, I, don't, I don't really know. We're just supposed to start moving and God's gonna tell us when we're there, I guess. Now, I don't know how that conversation would play out in your house, but I think in my house, Abraham was missing the one thing that most wives crave, Details. It's like, we're supposed to move to just nowhere. We just keep moving until, I don't know. Can you go back and ask God one more time for the ending point on the GPS? So we just have a general direction of how many days clothes we need to bring and like what the weather's gonna be. Like, can you just give me a few more details? But Abraham just says, no, this is what God says. So they pack up and they start moving. And then at some time later, God says, okay, I want to make you this great nation. And so through the promise, even though they got in a hurry and tried to do it their own way, through the promise, God gives to them a son, even though they were in their old age, even though it didn't seem physically possible, even though they laughed at the thought that they would ever have a child together, Abraham and Sarah, God gives them a son named Isaac. And then we come to Hebrews 11, verse 17, and we read this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, when I read that to you, some of you are very familiar with this story. And so you understand what takes place a little later in the story. But I'm going to ask you just for a minute not to fast forward the story. I'm going to ask you not to jump to the end to know how this turns out and just try to live it in the moment like Abraham had to live it in the moment when God asked him to do the unthinkable. This was the promise. 
Isaac was what he was holding on to because God had fulfilled a promise in his life. And so he's holding Isaac and God says, now let him go. Not only are you going to let him go, not only are you supposed to just kind of let him move away, you've got to actually kill him. What? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. And yet what we recognize here is that God was doing something greater than you and I could have ever believed possible as he is testing the faith of Abraham. That's really what we just read. What we read there in verse 17, if you recognize it, was it said, when he was tested. When he was tested. When Abraham was tested. And when I read that for the first time, I thought, I wonder exactly how that plays out in the original story. Maybe the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain that this was a test, but let's see how it played out. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 22, where the full version of this story plays out, and I encourage you today, maybe go read Genesis 22. You've got nothing better to do today. The Falcons are probably not gonna win. Like if they do, it doesn't matter. Just go home and read Genesis 20. Listen, I'm a Falcons fan, don't get mad at me. Some of you just like eye bullets. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just, just go read Genesis 22. This is what it says, verses one and two. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Did you catch what we just read? It said, God tested Abraham. Now, when I read that, I get a little bit uncomfortable because I'm not sure how I feel about tests. Well, yeah, I am. I hate tests. I've always hated tests. I got two middle school sons sitting over here. They don't like tests either. And I don't like any kind of test. I go to the doctor and they say, we're going to run a few tests. I'm like, okay, all right. I think I'm going to go get a second opinion. I don't like (laughs) tests. You understand? I go to get my emissions test and I'm sure I'm going to fail. It doesn't matter how much work I've had done on that car. I get out and I just lay my hands on the hood as I'm walking around. Jesus, just one more time. Let your faith and glory fall on this car right now, Jesus. I, the guy's like, why are you touching the hood? I'm like, I'm just making sure it's down. I'm just helping. Jesus, please. And then I walk into the waiting room just to see if I pass the test. I hate tests. But here's what I recognize. Tests are to discover if you have learned what you should have learned by now. My sons over there are convinced sometimes that their teachers are just trying to fail them, right? Their teachers are just mad at them. Their teachers are trying to trick them. But no good teacher is trying to fail you. When they give you a test on chapter 7, it's because they've already taught you chapter 7 and they want to see if you've learned enough for them to move on to chapter 8, And so sometimes when we find ourselves in the midst of a test, we are convinced it's a bad thing. And really, it's just God determining if he can take you to the next step. And so the idea here is as we step into 2019, some of us are like, God, give me a new thing. Give me a new word. Let's have a new, new vision, a new revelation. I want to set some New Year's goals and some New Year's resolutions. And what if... God's saying, no, 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 the best thing you could do is go back and study some more on the stuff that you started 2018 or 2017 or 2016 because you haven't learned it yet and you need to learn that before you try to learn something new, right? Because a test is actually a part of the teaching process. Until I take the test, I don't know if I'm ready to learn the next thing. And so maybe I have to stay here for a while to keep learning 
until God's ready to move me on to the next thing. It says that God tested Abraham. God, but see, here's the problem. In my life, when I'm in a test, I am blaming the enemy. I'm the only one, it sounds like. But when I find myself in a test, I'm like, devil, get behind me. Well, what if it's not the devil? What if it's God? And it occurs to me as I read through scripture that the devil really has, the enemy really only has a few tools to fight against us. And testing is usually not one of them. Because why would the enemy put you through something that proves to you you've still got more to learn about God and turn you back around to seek the face of God more? That's not how he works. That's not why he would do that. So if he's not testing you, what would the enemy do? He would tempt you. Well, the tempting is not like testing because it's not about teaching, right? The tempting is actually to trick you. Because even when Jesus himself was tempted, the enemy was there tempting him and trying to trick him into saying something or declaring something about himself that perhaps wasn't even true. Because the enemy tries to distort just enough of the truth to make you believe it's true, but he's the father of lies. He can't even speak the truth. And so when you find yourself in a place of temptation, perhaps you find yourself all the way right in the middle of the Garden of Eden where all the promises and blessings of God are in front of you, and the enemy says, hey, let's focus on this one thing that you can't have. That's not a test. That's a temptation. That's not to teach you something. That's to trick you. And so while God may test you, the enemy may tempt you, but sometimes the enemy does something else. He puts you through a trial. He puts you through a trial. Maybe it's something longer than just one specific temptation. You know, I don't know. We're not going to compare criminal records today. Maybe you left that at the door. Praise God. There's no guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I was arrested one time. One time. Some of you are like, okay, Pastor JC's letting who up here? No, that guy had it coming. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 I'm totally kidding. It was a paperwork discrepancy. I can prove it. I got the receipt that I paid for that ticket. But that cop, you know what I found out? I, I kid you not. I will stand before God, and this is the guy's. It was his first day on the job, and his training officer wanted him to get experience filling out the paperwork. Sometimes favor ain't fair, folks. I mean, I don't know why it was me, but it was me. And so I was able to go after spending a little time getting processed, I was able to go right to the DMV, prove the paperwork, paperwork discrepancy. And I had to go and stand before a judge. And I found out a little small piece of what a trial is like. Not, not completely. I, I, he threw the whole thing out quickly. But I watched some of the other people that were there before me. Sometimes the enemy wants to put you through a trial. And, and while testing is about teaching and tempting is about tricking you, a trial is about trapping you. Sometimes the prosecutor's there trying to just trap you in your words. What did you say? Where were you at? What time did you get there? Who did you call? Who saw you there? It's about trapping you so that eventually they can find you guilty even though you've been set free in Jesus Christ. And they can trap, he can trap you in jail away from a heavenly father that loves you for eternity. That's how the enemy works. But see, God was testing Abraham. Evidently, there was something that God wanted Abraham to know. He said, yeah, I did call you to a new land. Yeah, I, I did provide for you a son of the promise. But I need to test you. I need to see if you remember who I am. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that seems impossible. I'm going to ask you to do something that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. And this is what he said in Genesis 22, verse 2. 
Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I don't know how it is for you, but when God is testing me, he doesn't ask me for things that are easy to give away. He doesn't ask me for things I hate. He doesn't ask me for things that I have in plenty. He asks me for things that are scarce in my life. And he asks me for things that I love. You know, some of us to start the year, we're going to participate in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Our church is going to do that as well. And I have asked God year after year after year as it relates to fasting, God, please this year, call me to fast Brussels sprouts and figs and salad. And I mean, could you please, but he doesn't do that. Now that would be hard for Pastor JC. He's an Episcopalian or a Presbyterian, uh, pescatarian. That's what he is, right? I'm not, I'm a carnivore right? You know what God calls me to fast? Whoppers from Burger King. Some of you can taste that char grill. You can smell it right now in your nostrils. You're going to find the nearest Burger King on your way home. That's the Lord leading you. Just let him have his way. But you know, you know what the Lord asks me to fast? Mexican food. So you're going to, you're going to shout back at me right there. That's where you're going to do that, right? No, chips and salsa, Fajitas. Some of you are like, Pastor, it's 12 15. You got to stop talking about food. My stomach is rumbling. That's what the Lord asked me to give up stuff that I love. Like stuff that I love. That's what the Lord says. No, no, no. I want you to give that up for me. And that's what he was saying here to Abraham. He was saying, Take your son, your only son, scarce, whom you love, right? Affection. This is a foreshadowing here to what God would do when he sent Jesus, his only son, whom he loved, to be the once for all time sacrifice for you and I, so that we could have faith in a God who knows what we feel. And so the question today is, do you have the faith to give it up? I don't know what it is for you, but do you have the faith to give it up? Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that you love. You desired it, you prayed for it for a long time, but you've just been feeling like it's not right and it's not building your relationship with God, it's actually tearing your relationship with God down. And maybe walking into 2019, the best thing that you could do is give it up. But you're just not sure you can do it. Maybe there's an addictive behavior. There's something in your life that's got control of you. Do you have the faith to give it up? Maybe there's some control, some authority, some power in your home, on your job, in a community board that you're a part of, and and it actually controls you, and, and you have some pride about it, and God may be saying it's time for you to lay it down. Do you have the faith to give it up? Or maybe it's a lot of other things that I'm not even thinking about right now. Do you have the faith to give it up? There's a powerful story in Matthew chapter 19 that I go to from time to time when I come to a moment like this. There's this young man who comes to Jesus and he asks him a hard question. This is what he says in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. 
Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Let me just caution you right here. Be careful asking God that question. What do I still lack? Because I promise you, he's got something else on his list. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. For all of my adult ministry, I have believed that this story was not about wealth. This story, I believe, was about something far greater. Because I don't believe that the Bible is saying here, I don't believe that Jesus was saying to this young man, you cannot have great wealth and follow after me. I believe with all of my heart that just as likely as this story plays out like it is, if the young man would have heard Jesus say, go and sell all your possessions, give it to the poor and come and follow me. If the young man would have done that, if he would have gone, sold everything he had, gave his possessions away, gave his money away and come back to Jesus and said, I'm here. I believe there is a great possibility Jesus would have handed him an envelope with his money in it. Because this was not about his wealth. This was about his heart. This was this young man being tested and realizing he has still had more to learn because there was something that was greater in his heart than following after Jesus. And maybe for you, it's not great wealth because it's not up there in the list for you or you don't have a lot. But maybe there's something that if Jesus asked you to give it up, you would walk away sad because you have fill in the blank. Do you have enough faith to give it up? That's the question as we walk into 2019. It's not about getting something new. It's not about acquiring new things. It's about God saying, who are you and what does your heart actually declare about me? And when I come to this point in the story, I would walk away and go, I just don't know. Until we read the end of this story and I recognize that there's this one piece that I think can change something for everybody in the room. This is what it says in Hebrews eleven nineteen. 19. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so then I, I thought, well, I, that's like an English teacher's worst nightmare. That's like a run-on sentence with independent clauses and all kinds. I don't even know what all those things mean. So let's go read it in Genesis. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. He, Abraham, said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. There was something in Abraham's heart that he actually believed that if God had promised that Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise, that Isaac was still going to be a part of the story. He didn't know how it was going to play out. He wasn't sure how God was going to do it. But if you listen to what he says to the servants, he says, stay here. We're going to go over and we're going to come back. So either I'm going to kill this boy and God is going to miraculously raise him up and I'm gonna bring him back to you alive after being dead or God's gonna provide another sacrifice and change this story. Now, when I read that, I go, whew, then I can do this. If that's what faith is, if that's trusting God, then I believe I can do that. And then I go to that story in Daniel chapter three. You know, Daniel chapter three is that place where we have those Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And, and they're, they're commanded by the law of the land to bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar when the music starts. Music starts, those three boys stay standing. Music starts again, the three boys stay standing. Word gets back to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he brings them to where he's at. And as they stand there, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. The music starts, they stay standing. And look at what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, here's the deal. If faith is about me saying to God, if you'll raise the boy back up, then I'll sacrifice him. That's not really faith. That's not really faith. Faith is not an if-then transaction. That's a negotiation. That's saying to God, if you'll keep your end of the bargain, I'll keep my end of the bargain. That's not faith. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to have that kind of interaction with God. Now, God is a God of promise. God does keep his promise. He exceeds our expectations in that way. But sometimes he answers prayers by wait. And sometimes he answers prayers by no. And so the question today is, is your faith an if-then kind of faith? Or is your faith, like those three Hebrew boys, an even-if-not kind of faith? Even-if-not. King Our God is so powerful, he can raise us up. You throw us in the fiery furnace, we can live. And if we die, he can bring us back to life. But even if not, we will not compromise ourselves. We will stand for what is right, no matter what, because our faith is founded on even if not. Abraham stood at the bottom of that mountain and he said to those servants, he said, we're going to go over and worship. Worship wasn't singing a few hymns around the campfire. You understand? Worship was laying your one and only son whom you love on the altar and putting him to death. And he said, we will go and worship and we will come back. Even if I have to kill him, God will raise him up. He, he didn't know that there was a ram coming up the other side of the mountain as he went up one side. And you and I don't know what's coming in 2019. And so we're left to say, is my faith strong enough to trust in God, to walk into the uncertainty of tomorrow and to believe that I I hope, I, I want, I've got confidence, I'm assured, but even if not, I may never get back what I'm giving up. God may never tell me why he's asking me to give it up, but is my faith strong enough to give it up? Is my faith strong enough to give it up? I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what God may be asking you for right now. I don't know where perhaps your priorities have gotten out of order and where there's some things that if Jesus asks you now, go and Sell your possessions. Go and get out of the relationship. 
Go and lay down the addiction. Go and say no, even though you want to say yes. Turn down the promotion. Give the money away. Sell the house. Back out of the contract. Something doesn't feel right. Something's not right. I know you want it, but I'm asking you to prove to me and prove to yourself that nothing is more important than God. Is my faith strong enough to give it up? In just a moment, I'm going to ask Micah to come and to sing us a song and sing with us as we just declare a truth that's a confidence and an assurance that we hope to have. But I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around. Just a moment of personal reflection between you and God. Maybe today you would say, I, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt what God is asking me to give up. I know. Jeremy, when you started talking, I knew right then. This is something I've been holding on to for a long time. I've come to this altar dozens and dozens of times. I've prayed in my car. I've prayed at night. I've prayed with friends. I've prayed by myself. I have fasted and prayed and I've given God everything, but I've still held on to this one thing and I believe God's asking me to give it up. You know, is your faith strong enough to give it up this time? Or maybe you would say today, it's not, it's not that, but surely God wouldn't ask me to give this up. Well, maybe he wouldn't. I don't want to cater to your fears. I'm not trying to, mess you up today, but could it be that God is just testing you? He's not actually trying to take it away. He's just asking if you'd be willing to give it away. Where are our priorities? What is it that God is wanting to know about the condition of your heart today? God, I pray now for every person in this room, every person under the sound of my voice today, God, I don't know what they're walking through. I'm not sure what their story is, but God, you do. When they walked into this place today, you knew right where they were at and you met them there. And God, I believe that 2019 can be the greatest year they've ever lived. But for some of us, before we walk into 2019, we gotta leave some stuff in 2018. And today I believe, Lord, that you are asking us to give some things up. Let our faith be strong enough to trust you Help us not to negotiate with you. Let it not be if, then. But God, let our faith rise up to say, even if not, I will give it away. God, we honor you today. We bless you today. We ask for your blessings on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.